How are you out there? We are in the book of Jude. Last time we were together, we covered the first installment of Jude, the first seven verses. This week, Lord willing, we are going to finish the book up. Just a short book, 25 verses, but powerful. I'm going to read verses 8 till the end in just a minute here. But remember, this book is written to the church to deal with troublemakers in the church. And no matter how wonderful the church is that you attend, you can always expect to have a few troublemakers. You say, well, why is that? Why should we expect that? Because Jesus warned us that we would. Scripture warns us that we would. The pattern from the inception of the church was that the enemy would always send tares among the wheat to disrupt, to, to twist doctrine, to bring division, to destroy the capacity for unity. So how many understand the devil doesn't have a lot of new tricks? Anybody? He has some new technology to work with, but they're the same old tricks. So understand, we're always going to deal with these things, and that's why God saw fit to include these warnings and these, uh, you know, kind of just pulling the lid off of this whole thing so that his people would be ready and prepared to deal with such things. Now, I'm not going to read the first seven verses. We covered them last week, but I'm going to start in verse 8. Let's just thank God for the word as we're getting to Jude and our fingers on verse 8. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for this book that helps us how to deal with troublemakers, people who are apostate, false prophets and false teachers. But Father, as we go through this text verse by verse, Father, I pray tonight that you would give us wisdom, that you would tuck all of these things into our hearts, that we would be able to recall them out of our spirits at the moment that we need them. Holy Spirit, we trust you to do that in us tonight. So make the word come alive to us and teach us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Jude, starting in verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men, talking about the apostate false teachers, also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed the devil and argued about about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men reviled the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoned animals. But these things they are, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into, era, into the era of Balaam and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who have hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by wind, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault, Following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in this last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the one God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. A lot of stuff in there, a lot of uh, exposition in the sense where Jude is exposing the character and the nature of the false. We pick up in verse 8 here from our study last time. And Jude just continues to define more and more marks of the defective character of those who cause trouble in the church. Realize, people don't just cause trouble out of nowhere. It's character defects that cause people to gravitate towards these things. Amen? When you see a, a, a character defect in somebody, if God lets you see it, make sure that you, you know, you, you're aware of it and you watch out for it. God lets us see things sometimes, you know, not so we could expose people, but sometimes just so we can pray for them. But if you see someone who has a character defect, they're always complaining, they're always negative, they're always gossiping, they're always challenging leadership. If you see that, you know, and God makes you aware of it, pray for them, but beware of what's coming out of them. Someone say amen. So it's character defects that cause, you know, trouble. And it says, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. You know, they're dreamers in the sense that they have delusions of grandeur. Did you ever meet, you know, these people that they puff themselves up and they, they, they say that they're something that they're not, and they're always tooting their own horn? Come on. These are the character defects. You know, you could be around someone for 10 minutes and, you know, man, this person's all about, you know, promoting themselves. And, you know, when we were in Bible school, Pastor Mike, you, we would see them, young, you know, people coming in. They thought they were the next Billy Graham. We had one guy tell us he was the next Billy Graham. And no humility and burnt out and never accomplished anything, never finished the course. Why? Because pride and arrogance is not the way to prepare yourself for ministry character defects, dreamers. They have delusions of grandeur. They have an inflated uh, you know, sense of their own importance. They're constantly trying to you know, achieve things that they can you know, see as accolades for themselves. They defile themselves bodily with all kinds of sin. Remember, we said when we talked last week, it was lasciviousness. What is that? You know, sexual immorality always accompanies those who are false. Why? Because if you're not filled with the Spirit doing the work of the ministry, you're filled with some other spirit. And when you're filled with some other spirit, sexual immorality is never far behind. They categorically reject any authority but their own. Look what it says here. And speak evil of dignitaries. Got nothing good to say about any of God's anointed. Got nothing good to say about any of the people who are doing the work of the ministry. It's all about them. Come on, these are the marks. Now, if you're wilting on me already, it's going to get hotter in here. So come on, screw your courage to the sticking place tonight. Verse 9 uses the illustration of Michael the archangel. Look what the verse says as you're looking at it there. Michael went toe-to-toe with the devil. Over what? Over Moses' body. And the, the text points out here that, you know, Michael, God's holy archangel, didn't even bring a railing accusation against the devil. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. I want you to notice that. If anyone could have put Satan in his place, it was Michael. Yet all he did was speak the word of the Lord over him. What is the point here? The point is that people who have an opinion and a judgment and an accusation about everyone and everything, they're out of order. Michael would have been out of order if he proclaimed anything more than what God told him to say. The Lord rebuke you, not me, the Lord. Are you getting this? So verse 9 is making the point here that if God's holy angel won't even tell the devil off or pass judgment over him, you know, people who now want to have an opinion and a judgment and, 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 and you know, their two cents on everything, they're out of order. Look what it says here. You know, it says, he dare not bring against him a reviling accusation. The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts. In these things, they corrupt themselves. So there again, it's this, uh, this idea that they, they just say what's on their mind, but they don't have any spiritual insight. It's just worldly knowledge. Uh, troublemakers 
reject all kinds of uh, spiritual restraint and spiritual covering. And they, and they always, you know, they always want to have their opinion up at the forefront there. Um, you know, it's ignorance and it's carnality. I like the way the text says it, like brute beasts. You know, the wisdom of man is brutish. Oh, pastor, you know, we live in a nation that worships the intellect. The more diplomas you have and the more letters you have in front of your name, you know, even the church has gotten into this to the point where it's ridiculous. When they introduce somebody, doctor, reverend, uncle, bishop, cousin, I mean, they got every title in front of their name. You know, and I understand respecting the office and respecting authority, but you know, somehow, you know, we're we're infatuated with the intellect. And here, the Bible's basically telling us these guys that are not filled with the spirit, but filled with another spirit, they're like brute beasts. Their, Their wisdom is brutish. Verse 11 speaks a woe over them. Now, these guys are apostate. What does that mean? That, you know, they have departed from the faith, yet they still want to rule over the people in a a capacity of leadership. You know, in verse 11 speaks a woe. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now, there's a few pronouncements here. There's three biblical pronouncements over them that serve to expose, you know, the character of their operations. It says they've gone the way of Cain. They run greedily in the era of Balaam the prophet, and they perish in the rebellion of Korah. Let's talk about those three things. Number one, when it says they've gone the way of Cain, what does that mean? Cain was a murderer. Cain was a jealous, carnal person who was jealous of his brother because his brother did things God's way and got God's blessing. Cain rose up against his brother. Why? Because he hated the fact that God's favor was on him and he didn't get the favor that he wanted. So he rises up and he kills his brother. Do you see, when when he says you've gone the way of Cain, what does that mean there? That means that these guys have murder in their heart for people who do things the right way. Do you realize, you know, leaders that are in all kinds of sin and compromise and all that stuff, when they see someone, you know, serving God in purity and holiness, they'll attack a person like that. Why? Because there's murder in their heart towards someone who's doing it God's way and reaping the blessing of God. Come on, Wednesday night. Okay, how about this? They run greedily in the era of Balaam the prophet. What was Balaam's issue? Balaam was a prophet of God who accepted money to prophesy evil against Israel. What did Balaam do? He hijacked the ministry for financial gain. These guys who are false teachers, false prophets, apostates, troublemakers in the church, they're all about money. And they'll prostitute the gifts of God for money. You guys not want to hear about this tonight? You know, it's really important that we understand this stuff because it's all around us. It's in churches. It's on TV. It's in our government, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of witchcraft. Sometimes I talked about us being dense on Sunday, right? Christians can be dense. It's time we open up our eyes. This, this greedy spirit of Balaam here that people, and, and you see it, and you can find it on Christian TV, and these guys, you know, it's all about sending your tax-deductible, non-refundable donation of love, and I'll send you this X, Y, and Z, or I'll pray for a piece of cloth, and I'll send it to you. Come on. What's this all about? Send in X amount of money, and I'll give you a personal prophecy. Now, now we're, we're, we're prostituting the gifts for money? soothsayers, right, psychics. It's a, it's a prostitution of the gifts. And this is exactly, you know, we see these things in our own culture, and we see these in our own church cultures. And, you know, <laughs> it's the way of Cain. It's the way of Balaam. And then he talks about the rebellion of Korah. What was the rebellion of Korah about? That's where these people who were false People, they weren't leaders. They were self-appointed, self-anointed. They rose up against Moses, and they came against God's anointed. You see, the false will always come against the, the righteous. The false will always come against the true. If you're anointed of God, if you're called of God, if you love God, then the false prophets and the false teachers and, and the religious merchandisers will come after you, and they'll rebel against you. And look, in Korah, the ground opened and swallowed them up. Woo, I'm waiting for the ground to open up. I'm waiting for God 
the God of heaven to answer by fire. So the way of Cain, the way of Balaam, the situation at Korah, these are biblical examples of the woe spoken against those who, you know, merchandise the ministry for financial gain, for money, who hate true leadership, who are self-anointed, self-appointed. You know, and you might think, well, you know, why do we have to know all about these things? Because in the last days, perilous times will come. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of the false rising up. You're going to see whole denominations and movements and people, you know, just, just completely abandon this. There are some churches that are barely hanging on to this. But once this is gone and, you know, and, and all the gloves are off, you're going to see the false rise up. And guess what? The biggest problem that churches that hold on to the Scripture and preach the Word of God and truth are going to have is they're going to be attacked by other churches. Now, I've seen it already, and it's coming. So Jude prepares us for this. Verse 12 levels an interesting charge against the false teachers and the troublemakers. It says, they are spots or stains at your love feasts. You hear that? So let's take a look at what that implication is there. Love feast is a word that describes you know, a, a kind of a getting together and fellowshipping and usually having the Lord's Supper. The word love feast is only mentioned one time in the New Testament, and this is the time. They were community meals that preceded the Lord's table. Now, uh, they're like kind of like our pot trust. We get together and fellowship, right? Well, Paul had to rebuke the the Corinthian church, because at their love feasts, people were being selfish. Rich people were eating really nice food, and the poor people had nothing. People were getting drunk at these love feasts. Hello? Anybody remember that? And in, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians. Uh, it was a mess. And so he's saying, these guys come to your love feasts. They're not right inwardly. Look, we, we shouldn't even come to the Lord's table and take communion unless we examine ourselves. These guys didn't examine themselves, but they came to the love feast, and God says they're like stains at your love feasts. They're, they're a blemish upon the body of Christ. Ouch! Like a white shirt with a big mustard stain. I can't wear anything white. Uh, white lasts me like I can't even wear Once I had a white shirt and it made it through a picnic, it was an act of God. That's my wife. But God's saying these guys are like stains. You know... The Apostle Paul, he rebuked the Corinthians because they were carnal and proud and selfish, and they were doing it and coming to the Lord's table, and people were drinking too much and drunk, and it was just, you know, it was, it was out of order. These guys attend those fellowship events, and they receive the Lord's suffer, supper, and their hearts aren't right. They're like wolves. They're like reprobates practicing ungodly lifestyles, and they're unrepentant of them. And God says that's a stain upon the body of Christ. You know, each one of us that are part of the church, that are part of the body of Christ, you know, we can either be a blessing to the body or we can be a stain on the body. Now, you look like blessings out there to me. Amen? But God is saying when people choose sin and, and they won't repent and their hearts aren't right and they're causing trouble... It's like a stain. So, you know, it's kind of graphic, but, you know, while, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Look at that. You know, the, the fear of the Lord should uh, precede them, yet they, they have no fear of the Lord. They just, you know, they serve themselves. A sinner that becomes brazen has only proven that their conscience has been thoroughly seared. You see, when... People used to do things, and if they were exposed, they were embarrassed, they would repent. You know, it used to be that things that, you know, you wouldn't even dare whisper in secret are now shouted out in public. Come on, you know the world we live in now? Things 50 years ago, things in my grandfather's generation that you wouldn't even mention. Now it's like, well, you better accept that or there's something wrong with you. Stains on our culture, stains on our churches. But what is it? Sinners have become so brazen that, that it's all out in the open. And what is that proof of? A seared conscience. Thoroughly seared. They are in a dire spiritual state. The fires of hell await those who have hardened hearts and stiff necks. And Jude is warning us, don't associate with people like this. Don't be involved with them. And don't you dare become like that. 
Verse 12b, we just covered through 12, says this. They are clouds without water. You've heard me quote that, that text before. Carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackest and darkness forever. Wow. So look at the... Look at the descriptions here. They're clouds without water. We've talked about that. What, what does that mean? You know, you need the rain. You, your ground is thirsty. You see a cloud, and it suggests rain, but there's no rain in that cloud. It's just, it's a, it's a false sign, and that's what these guys are. They seem spiritual, but they're not. They seem holy, but they're not. They say they can help you or deliver you or lead you into truth or enlighten you, but they can't. They're clouds without rain. What else does verse 12 say? They're, they're trees without fruit. Now, you know, Jesus encountered a tree that should have had fruit on it and didn't. And what did he do? He cursed it. He cursed the fig tree. Why? Because it suggested, it presented as if it was something and it had something to offer, but it didn't. And it serves as a spiritual example. There again, people that say they're holy, say they're spiritual, say they're leaders, say they, you know, they, they, they know the right way to do things, yet they don't. Trees without fruit, clouds without rain. Jude continues here. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. So there again, they like to make a lot of noise, and they like to, you know, puff themselves up, and they like to roar, but what's behind what they say is empty. And I've said this before, have you ever met people that talk a lot but don't say much? And they say, well, I'm just too deep for you. No, it's not deep, it's muddy, right? Oh, I'm too deep, you just can't understand me. I've seen people with religious spirits, with Jezebel spirits, say to Christian leaders, oh, you're not very spiritual. (laughs) And they would go on and fuss and make a big you know, ruckus and, and, and draw attention to themselves. Come on, if you've been around to churches where you've seen things like this, if you haven't, God bless you, and you're looking at me funny, but I'm telling you what goes on out there. That passes for Christianity. So, you know, the description is here, raging waves. So it's a big tumult. It's a big, you know, attention-grabbing thing, but there's nothing to it. Wandering stars, you know, the, the, this is just a, a kind of an illustration of spiritual uh, lostness where they have no root. They're just, you know, they're, they're just wandering. They're, they're not rooted. And it says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? Make no mistake, people who hijack and pervert the ministry of the gospel for their own personal gain will face serious eternal judgments. It's serious. Anybody in America can call themselves a pastor, a bishop, a prophet. They can get themselves a five-by-seven, you know, certificate suitable for framing, hang on a shingle, and start a church. And they can even be charismatic, and they can even know how to speak, and they can even know how to attract people to themselves. But if they're not called by God, there's going to be some seriously wicked things happening in that type of ministry. You've got to be called, and that's the thing. If they're not, then it's gonna, they're going to go through the motions. They're going to hurt people. They're going to sully the name of the Lord. They're going to damage the body of Christ, and eternal judgment awaits people like that. There are people behind pulpits now whose names and faces you probably know that on that day, they're going to have to answer to God because God never called them to do what they're doing. Serious. It's serious stuff. So there's eternal judgment, and it says, reserve the blackness of darkness forever. Wow, that sounds serious, doesn't it? That's, that's like a bad neighborhood in hell right there. Verses 14 through 15 are, are really interesting here, as Jude quotes a prophecy from Enoch. How many know who Enoch is? Enoch is the, one of the two people in Scripture that never tasted of death. Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. God said, come on up here, Enoch, and he did. 
Now, Elisha was the other one. So there's two uh, people who walked with God, who knew God, and never tasted death. We're, we're going to see those two guys come back as the witnesses in the book of Revelation. Most scholars agree. But, but Enoch never tasted death. And here, Jude quotes Enoch. But here's the interesting thing. Enoch is not in this, this, this prophecy that he quotes here is not in the Bible. The book of Enoch is not part of the scriptural canon. It's not considered an inspired book. Yet Enoch was a godly man, and he said some godly things. And here, there is no record of this prophecy recorded in the Old Testament. Yet God waits to the New Testament in the book of Jude, the second to last book in the New Testament, to bring this prophecy out. So it's pretty interesting here. This prophecy that is uh, uh, kind of you know quoted here, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So here, it's a, it's a, a symbol, a, a sign, a reminder of the Lord's coming. The Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints. So it's the return of Christ. And what does Christ come to do? He comes to judge the false prophets, those who spoke against him, those who hijacked the holy things of God for their own personal gain. So there again, Enoch was not in Scripture to, in the sense where, you know, this guy had this prophecy written in the Old Testament, but yet God chooses to include it here. The prophecy speaks of the return of the Lord and the judgment upon those who are false. So it's an interesting side note there. You know, our Bible, the canon for the Bible has 66 books. There are other books, and one of them is the book of Enoch, which are apocryphal books. They're intertestamental books. What does that mean? They're books that happen between the New and the Old Testament. Are you following me tonight? And that collection of books is called the Apocrypha. Now, those books do, do not, uh, scholars concluded that they're not inspired books. There may be historical writings. There may be some true quotes in there, but they're not inspired by God, so they don't get included in Scripture. Some churches, the Catholic Church includes the apocryphal books in Scripture. If you grab a Catholic Bible, you're going to find those books in there. You're going to find the book of Enoch. Here's the thing. They don't agree with the rest of Scripture, yet churches like that build doctrines out of those books like praying to saints, praying for the dead, all kinds of unbiblical doctrines that clash with the rest of the Bible, and, you know, it causes a lot of problems in their theology. So Enoch gets a, a prophecy in the scripture, yet the book of Enoch is not considered uh, an inspired book. Is everybody still with me? Some of you look like your eyes are glazing over. I know some of this is heady, but, you know, this is Wednesday night, the Meteors Club. You guys are honor students here. So we're getting some, we're getting some thick stuff. Now, verse 16 through 19, Jude goes on describing the marks of the apostate, the troublemakers, and he's revealing more marks about their corrupt character. You know, and when you look at, you know, 16 through 19 here, look, look at this list here. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So verse 16, just right there, grumblers, complainers, full of lust, big swelling words, flattering people. I mean, think about, think, think about that list right there. I mean, and those were their best qualities right there. So it kind of went downhill from there. Jude is describing on and on in just these few 25 verses, he gives so much description of the apostate and the false that, you know, at some point as I'm reading this and studying this, and maybe you're feeling it too, I'm like, Jude, that's enough. We're, we got it. We get it, okay? It's like, you know, someone just keeps going and going and going, and it's like, I, I get it. But, you know, as I was thinking that, and I'm thinking, oh, how much more is he going to, you know, expose that we get it, they're bad, okay? But the truth is that we don't get it. And the truth is that a lot of Christians don't get it. And the truth is we've got to know all of these marks and all of these signs and all of these character defects that would be in the false because much of the body of Christ misses it and thinks, oh, well, they love Jesus too and they're just fine and you know, I support them, and God bless them, and I'll send them money. And we're financing 
something that's hindering the body of Christ. So all these descriptions, you know, though it seems like it's a little over the top and we get it and enough is enough, Jude, we really don't get it and we need the repetition and we need all these facets exposed so that we can be able to spot wolves in sheep's clothing. Christians, listen to me. There are wolves out there. I know that we don't like to think about it. There are wolves in churches. There are wolves at Full Gospel Center. There are wolves on Christian TV. You and I need to be able to spot the wolves, lest they spoil the sheep. So they're grumblers, complainers, walking in their own lusts. They're skillful with speech. They use flowery words. They inflame pride in the simple and the unsuspecting for the purpose of manipulating them. Understand, when a person is a flatterer, to you know, I mean, it's nice that someone gives you a compliment, but did someone ever begin to flatter you and you could smell right away, they're trying to manipulate me? Come on, anybody? Some of you are not shaking your heads. You're scaring me now because you need to be able to discern that. Because, oh, well, they just love me. They're for me. They really like me. They see all my good qualities. I wondered when somebody was going to notice all those wonderful things about me. Realize it. That's dangerous. That's like an opiate. That's addictive. Some people, you know, they can flatter and so smooth with the speech. Man, I, I've had people in front of me, Pastor Mike, and I'm sure you have too, that it was almost like their lips were moving, but everything that was coming out of their mouth was the devil. I'm like, I'm waiting for the horns to pop out. Like you're wearing a red leotard under that suit. We need discernment. We need to be aware because people, you know, will use speech to manipulate us. And they, they do it. They manipulate the simple and the unsuspecting. Uh, they use titles and offices and platforms to... Uh, lend authenticity to themselves, but really they're just wolves and they're trying to manipulate you to, to use you for their own purposes. Verse 17 is a call to remembrance. But beloved, remember, say remember. Remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to remember the apostles' doctrine, the things that were foundational to the church. We need to, you know, it's kind of like people want to get past the foundations. They want to get past the basics. They want to get onto the depth and the meat and all that stuff. And it's good to have depth and meat. But if you ever forget the basics, if you ever forget the fundamentals, you, your game is going to come apart. You see a golfer who's now slicing the ball or he's, you know, doing something. Something came apart in his swing. You see a baseball player who can't hit a curveball anymore. Something came apart in their swing. It's the fundamentals that keep us productive in the body of Christ. It's prayer. It's Bible study. It's church attendance. It's fellowship. The basics. I've shared this before. I, I met a guy who said, I don't read the Bible anymore. He was a Christian. And he said, I don't read the Bible anymore. I've already read it. I, you know, I, I got it. And sadly, just a few years later, his life came unglued to such a degree that he walked away from the faith. Because you never graduate from doing the basics. I've prayed everything there is to pray. God knows everything. I, you know, we're good. I'm done. No. I don't need to come to church anymore. I've, I've heard it all. I've heard that pastor preached through the Bible. I've heard it. I'm done. No. Always continue to do the basics. A call to remembrance, to adhere to the apostles' doctrine, to the foundational doctrines. Verses 18 and 19 give more description of the, uh, of the false. Look what it says. How they told you they there would be, well, the, the apostles, what they told us, that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. So let's just take a look at that. More of the same, you know, mockers. People make fun of Christianity, make fun of your faith, make fun of spiritual gifts you know, mock people who prophesy, mock people who speak in tongues, mock people who preach the word of the Lord with passion. So there's mockers out there. And you can turn on any, any channel and, you know, you can watch any late night TV show and they're making fun of us. And there's plenty of mockers. And you know what? 
God warned us there would be. We shouldn't be disheartened by them. They are incurring the wrath of God by mocking spiritual things to their own destruction. But they practice ungodly lust. They're sensual and they're divisive. This last little part here, sensual persons, we get it. They're lascivious. But it says, who cause divisions not having the Holy Spirit. Look at that. What does the enemy love to use people with the wrong heart to do? He loves to use them to divide the body of Christ. Behind every church split is a person with, with, a, with a spirit that's not right, with a heart that's not right, who's apostate, who now the enemy uses to split and divide the church. If you've ever been in a church split, if you've ever been through a church split, there's always key players, and if you examine who they are, you're going to see the character defects in them that Jude describes. And so why do they, you know, they, why do they destroy unity? Because unity is our greatest power. Unity is what intimidates the devil. When the church is unified, when we're, what happened in the upper room when they were in one accord? The Holy Ghost fell on them, amen? And, and, and it's that unity that allows the Holy Ghost to fall. Why do these people, you know, how do these people, you know, live with themselves, dividing the church and causing trouble. It says it right here. They cause divisions not having the Spirit. You see, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to say it for a third time, you're filled with some other Spirit. And that Spirit divides. These guys don't have the Holy Ghost. They're carnal. They're, they're, you know, their intellect is immoral. They're like beasts. They go with their instincts and their lusts, and, and they, they divide. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key to unity in the body of Christ. Go ahead. Go ahead. Holy Spirit, we need you. You know, we can't even have unity if we want to without the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love everybody. I want to get along with everybody. I want just, you know, to sing Kumbaya and let's hold hands and have goosebumps together. Come on, Wednesday night. You and I can't even do that without the Holy Spirit. Our flesh is going to rub somebody else's flesh, and you know what? Then all of a sudden we're going to have an offense. (laughs) We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost. We don't need less of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 through 23 encourage us to take an active role in maintaining our own spiritual health and growth. Listen to this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up. Did you hear that? Who's got to build yourself up? Got to build yourself up upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There again, spiritual gifts. When we pray in the Spirit, it builds us up. Why? Because it's a direct connection to God, amen? The intellect is not in the way. The flesh is not in the way. Your mind is not in the way. When you pray in an unknown tongue and you connect to heaven, you build yourself up and you edify yourself in a way that causes spiritual growth in your life. So here he is. He's saying here, you know, you got to build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in love, in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Okay, let's just let's just stop there, verse 20 and 21, and take a look at that. You know, it's our responsibility, you know, to do what we have to do to maintain our spiritual health and growth. Now, listen to me. I know that I don't make myself grow spiritually. And I know that I can't even keep my soul healthy. It's a work of the Lord, amen? But I have a part to do. I got to do my part. You got to do your part. What is it? It's a small part, but it's still a part that we have to do. Sometimes it's just, you know, disciplining yourself to have that prayer time every day. Disciplining yourself to open your Bible and let God speak to you. Disciplining yourself to come to church on Wednesday night. You're here. You did your part. The Holy Spirit didn't club you and throw you in a cab and you showed up at church. You did your part. You say, well, my part was easy. You know, I just, you know, I didn't even comb my hair. I just came. But you did your part. And now God will do the rest. He honors that, amen. So here's the problem. You know, we think it's, it's hard, it's spiritual. I've got to climb the mountain and I've got to, you know, read the Ten Commandments. No, you just got to show up. 
We, we make it so difficult. But we have to take some responsibility for our own spiritual health and our own spiritual growth. Now, listen, our generation, our flesh, the world we live in, it hates personal responsibility. Our generation, uh, more than any other generation, wants to blame everything on somebody else. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the, like, whose fault is it? When we should go, I've said it before, there used to be an old blues song, Nobody's Fault But Mine. I think John Lee Hooker, he said, I got a Bible in my home, and it's nobody's fault but mine. He was right. Got that Bible there. It's collecting dust. Don't read it. Don't spend time in the presence of God. I'm, I'm in a spiritual drought. It's nobody's fault but mine. So we've got to take, you know, our generation hates responsibility. We love to pass a buck, blame it on somebody else. But the word is telling us, build yourselves up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You see that? There's that, that component where we've got to do our part, even if it's a little part. It's a command. You know, it's a command here. Verse 20 starts with, but you. So it, there, we have to distinguish ourselves from the world. Look at that. But you, beloved, build yourselves up. So you don't talk about this person or that person or the excuse or, you know, well, I, I have a problem. I'm not a good reader. My mother didn't hug me enough. I, you know, I didn't have the right education. All the excuses. But you build yourselves up. But you keep yourselves in the love of God. So we've got to get that component, and it might seem easy to understand at this point as we've articulated it clearly, but our flesh will fight against it and, and our flesh will want to blame everyone and everything else for our own spiritual shortcomings. Verse 21 shows it's our personal responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God. I love the way it says that in 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, how do you, how do you keep yourself in the love of God? You stay in love with God. If you stay in love with God, you'll keep yourself in the love of God. You see, what, what's the main thing that the enemy wants to attack? Our love. I have this against you. You have left your first love, Jesus said. So what's under attack? Our love. Because the minute we don't love God with all our heart is the minute we fall out of love with God and we fall out of the love of God. Are you getting this? This happens to us, and then before we know it, we're getting more carnal, we're getting more fleshly. You know, we, we want to scratch itches that, you know, we haven't entertained for years. We start drinking too much. We start going places and hanging out with people that we shouldn't. Come on, I'm preaching Wednesday night. And, and what is that? Because we fall out of love with God because, you know, and then we're not in the love of God. And then all of a sudden, we, we, you know, we're grouchy. We don't like people anymore. What's one of the main marks that we're in the faith is that we, our love for one another. People who are like, and look, this happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you. Sometimes I had enough of people. Anybody? Man. Some people looking at me, they don't get it. It's you. You're wearing me out. People will do it, you know. So you say, well, how, how do I avoid that? Stay in love with Jesus. You see, the closer you get to Jesus, the more patience you have for his people. The more you stay in love with Jesus, the more, the less selfish you become, the more, you know, spirit-filled you become. And then you have patience for people. If you don't like people anymore, you don't like church people, if the preacher is annoying, well, maybe not that one, but if, <laughs> then you need to spend some time with Jesus. And get that heart soft again, amen? So it's important that we keep ourselves in the love of God by staying in love with God, that we celebrate his grace and that, that, that same grace that gave us eternal life. You see, when we're focused on grace and we're focused on the free gift of salvation, man, there's no way that we, we don't stay in love with Jesus. I mean, and you wake up in the morning, you got breath in your lungs and you're saved, man, you're having a good day. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So verse 22 and 23 is a call to exercise spiritual discernment. Now, I want you to, I want you to catch this here. This is, this is cool. It says in 22, and on some have compassion. Say some. So compassion is for some. On some have compassion, making distinction. But others save with fear, 
pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Here's what we need discernment for. You and I, in the course of a day, are going to come across some people who need a big hug. And we're going to come across some people who need a kick in the spiritual backside. That's, that's the new Italian version of what that verse just said. Okay? Some people need a big hug. And we've all met them, right? What do we used to call them? EGRs, extra grace required. Some people, oh, man, Pastor Rick, they're so annoying. They just want attention, and they, they want to tell you all about this. They, they need attention. Love them. Hug them. You know, some people need that. And then you're going to come across some people. They're nasty. They're bitter. They're judgmental. And really what they need is a good spiritual kick in the butt. People are saying, well, I know those people. But the, the, the place where we need discernment is, is we have to be able to distinguish who's who. Because it says to some, they need a big hug. To others, with distinction, what? They, they need to be snatched out of the fire with some force. They need to be shaken back into reality. Here's the problem. A lot of times we get it wrong. We, we kick the person who needed the hug. The older I get, the softer my heart gets. I don't have the heart to, to be mean or judgmental. Or, you know, I look at people when I was a young person, you know, would laugh. Or we, I don't know how you grew up. But we used to just sit with our friends and make fun of everything. Make fun of people. Man, God help you if your clothes didn't match or, you know, you forgot to brush. I'm, I'm telling you, ruthless. Don't look at me like that. But now I don't have the heart for that anymore. Because there's too many people out there who just need a hug. Yeah, they're annoying. Yeah, they're obnoxious. Yeah, maybe they're even a little proud. But you know what? A, a hug is what they need. And then there's some people that, you know what, they're just, they're just out of control. Come on. Maybe coworkers, friends, family members, your own children. They're out of control. And what they really need is just they need some spiritual discipline. They need to be disciplined. And I'll tell you what, I've learned this through almost three decades of ministry, by not correcting people who are, are off and messed up, it only leads to more sin and mischief in their life. We have to be willing to correct people who are out of bounds. And we've got to be willing to love people who really just need a hug. And we need discernment to know the difference between who's who. Because we're Sometimes we're kicking the wrong people and we're hugging the wrong people. And both of those things cause problems. Verse 24 reminds us to rely on the amazing keeping power of Jesus Christ. Remember, I said, you know what? I can't make myself grow spiritually. I can't keep myself spiritually healthy. This kind of falls in line with that because it's really his keeping power that we need to relying on. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And to present you faultless before the presence of his holy glory with exceeding joy. Jesus has the ability to keep us. He said to the Father, I didn't lose one that you placed into my hands. When you and I are in the hands of Jesus, we're safe. And he has the ability to keep us. Oh, but you don't understand, I'm weak, you know, I, have a, I don't have much self-control, you know, I, I'm, I'm weak to a lot of things. Listen, he knows, how to, he knows how to get you from, you know, being lost to being found to being in his arms for eternity, amen. He has the ability to do that. So we need to trust in him and not walk around afraid all the time. Yes, we need to do our part. Yes, we need to discipline ourselves spiritually. Yes, we need to take personal responsibility for our own, you know, spiritual growth. You got here tonight. But you know what? I found out when I do everything I'm supposed to do, Jesus does the other 99%. And thank God he's got the bulk of it because I'd mess it up. Verse 25 concludes, uh, concludes the whole book here. Right? It says, to God, our Savior, who only is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. Amen. There's, there's this one little last nugget in there, even in that concluding statement there. It's, it serves as a conclusion. It's a reminder that man's wisdom is, is not what we want to rest on. Look what it says here. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise. 
Well, who else is wise besides him? Nobody. Amen? Oh, no, there's a lot of smart people with PhDs and big brains and, you know, and they can do quantum physics. No, that's nothing to God. Our God knows the beginning from the end. He's the author and the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega. There's no one like him, amen? He's the fountain of all wisdom. Any intellect, any intelligence that man has is just a reflection of the Father. You see some of these guys, astrophysicists and these you know, these guys that are really smart, where do you think they're, where do you think that brain power came from? You know, it's just, oh, well, they had really two special parents, and where did they come from? It's a gift of God. You know, I'm thankful for smart people, amen? How do they design some of this stuff? I can't even fix a doorknob in my house some days. They're designing all this stuff that just, you know, improves the quality of life, and God, God bless them, Amen. But they're not the fountain of wisdom. God is. And so God is the only wise one. So this is just a little, you know, a reminder here that, you know, man's wisdom at best is flawed. And, you know, sometimes it's just plain wrong. So God is the fountain of wisdom that we need to direct our attention to. And we've got to lean our weight on his wisdom by following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it says here. Look, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. He's majestic. He has dominion over all things. He not only has the power, he is the power, both now and forever. So Jude is uncovering a whole lot of, you know, the false operations in the church. He's uncovering the the marks of the apostate. He's warning people not to be swept away by those you know, who are illegitimate and seek only to, you know, merchandise the ministry for their own gain. And at the end of the book, he just points us right back to Jesus one last time that we should rest completely on him and trust him because he alone has the power to keep us. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for the book of Jude, a short book, but a powerful book. Father, just chock full of wisdom and warnings, Lord God, and such a, a detailed description of the characteristics of the false, of the apostate, of the troublemaker. Father, I pray that when we discern uh, these things in people and we see wolves among us, that we would commit to prayer and that we would guard the flock through prayer and intercession. Father, I pray that you would strengthen all the leadership that you have put in the body of Christ. Father, all the leaders that you've anointed and appointed. Father, that they would, uh, they would use the spiritual authority you've entrusted them with to deal with the tares and to deal with the wolves and to deal with the troublemakers. Father, if we can rebuke them and restore them and see them return to the faith, God, that's wonderful. If we can't, Father, would we be careful to protect the body of Christ from the leaven? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.